Uh, there's no question in my mind that God has a sense of humor. Today we're talking about faith and uh, what it looks like when life is not in control. And, and I, w- I, w- I would say probably just as many things uh, that probably should work the way that they should didn't work this morning as, as ever. Um, and I think, I think that's really funny. Uh, last week we talked about how our, the way that we relate to God sometimes is not the way that he chooses to relate to us. And so we talked about how some of those uh, typical ways that we view God and think about him maybe kind of miss the whole entire point of why he creates us and why he wants a, a relationship with us. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what that looks like in theory, but also very much in practice with three foundational principles that all of us deal with in our life, and that's faith, hope, and love. So this morning we're talking about faith and what that looks like. Of course, all of us knows, all of us knows, all of us know what faith is, right? That's why we're here, because we have faith figured out. We know how to describe it to other people. Uh, We know all the answers. We know how it fixes every problem in our life and makes everything perfect and happy. And um, are we good? So we can just move on from that one, right, and just skip to next week. Um, When you consider how belief in a higher power is universal, throughout the course of human history. It's easy to see how life experience comes with this innate sense that there's gotta be something bigger than us at work. Uh, when we look at the world around us, when we think about how life works, how the earth works, you know, we can look around and see almost indescribable beauty. I'll never understand why we say, oh man, that's almost as pretty as a painting. No, it's the, it's the real thing. Like the, the, the painting is a poor, poor reflection of that thing. I mean, almost indescribable beauty, amazing things. And the world around us is also capable of some of the most uh, horrific forms of destruction that we could possibly see. I mean, the pendulum swing is incredible. It's massive and it's overwhelming. And so over our entire existence, we've tried to figure out intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, how to explain those things and what to do with them. It doesn't necessarily translate into a better knowledge about how and why things are the way they are, though. Like, for example, how much do you know about what you don't know? You ever think about that very, very much? You know, you don't even know what you don't know, maybe. I'll hazard a guess that nearly all of us arrive today in some form of a motorized vehicle. You know how that works? I mean, you know you want it to work, and, and you, you believed that it was going to work when you got into it this morning to get you here, but, but like, you know, how, you know how an engine, a combustible engine works? You can diagram that out and explain. Now, some of you can, and I know that you can do that, but can, can you explain to me? Some of you are like, oh, air pressure, it's got to go to 100%, right? I mean, that, that way you know it's full. <laughs> no, that, that, ooh, not as much laughter as I was hoping. <laughs> Um, I'll help you change your windshield wiper uh, battery later, too. Uh, I mean, you, you know, you, you might know how to change a tire, the oil, and your brakes, but can you actually explain to me how your car works? Um, most of us use the Internet daily, whether it's work or school or entertainment or just wasting time. Um, if you know how to use Google, you can find just about anything you could possibly want to. Can you explain to me how the Internet works? I mean, you could call Val Gore and ask him. Uh, he invented it. <laughs> Um, how do those ones and O's, you know, and all the cabling across the world, how does that work? Now, some of you could, some of you could actually explain that to me, and that, that's great. We don't, we don't want to know. Uh, we just know that we want it to work, and we don't want it to buffer. You know, we have this phrase, oh, it's like riding a bike, because all of us, we, if you have never learned how to ride a bike, I will just tell you, now, I will teach you, I will help you learn how to ride a bike. But most of us, I would think, most of us know how to ride a bike, and we say that because we know even if somebody had a bike right here, we could get on it and we could ride it. 
Well, maybe. I don't know. That would be fun to see. Like, everybody get in line. See if you can still ride a bike. Uh, can you explain to me how a bike works? Can you diagram it out? Can, would you get all the pedals and the chains and how the bike brakes work and all that kind of stuff? Could you, could you get all that correct? We could go down a much longer list of the things we use and the things that we do and the things that we expect to work every single day. Um, but if we were forced to sit down and explain the ins and outs of everything we interact with, we'd be hard-pressed to be able to do so. I mean, we just wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to do so. There's a phrase that describes this. It's called the illusion of explanatory depth. A couple researchers came up with this term uh, as they observed this in students that they studied. It identifies the subconscious arrogance or pride we have when it comes to the wide spectrum of how we interact with the world, with things like household objects or bicycles or things that are even more serious like, I don't know, politics and religion. We're a mass-produce and throwaway culture because we don't really care about how or why something works. We just know that we want it to work and we want it to do what we want it to do at the time that we want it to do it. But we need to know what we don't know. In fact, this is one of the really important things about faith because I think many of us probably come into the conception with, well, somebody with faith, it's just it's because they know stuff. And they have, they have all of these answers and that, that's why they buy into it. But there's another aspect of faith, the flip side of the coin, that's just as important and it's to recognize and know how much we don't actually know. Religion a religious expression is an ancient response to a timeless reality. We live in a big universe that's beautiful and dangerous, and we don't know everything. The more we learn, uh, chronological snobbery, I think, is a great phrase that C.S. Lewis came up with. The more we learn, the cockier we get. It's popular to think, for example, that all religions are really trying to accomplish the same thing. We're all just trying to climb the proverbial mountain to satisfy our existential need for self-actualization. Those are fun words to say. So we come up with this kind of idea, and this is kind of how we think about faith. You say, oh, well, you know, God is really just this one big conception that everybody's kind of moving to, but this isn't actually how this works. In fact, we have to flip the graphic over to understand and point out how it really works. We all experience the same stuff in life. We just respond to it very differently. And we have different ideas and things that we look for to try to give us answers, to try to help us feel better, or try to make some sense or understanding. And we kind of tend to take those same experiences, and instead of, well, in some terms, we kind of collectively try to figure those out, but most of the time, we kind of look at that and just go off on our own tangent, our own plan, and try to figure those things out. And the nature of belief is born out of universally shared life experiences. We just tend to look in different directions for the answer to those experiences. And it's our response to what we can't control, a chaos of events, sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes indifferent. We can't predict injustice and evil that are all too common, the fight for survival, all of those things that kind of undergird the anxiety that we have in life that causes us to look for something else. The more well-off we are, the more we can distance ourselves from this reality. But it's when the things that we can't control... It's one of the things that we don't know that we don't know hit us in life that we identify with, with our actions, what we actually believe in. Everyone has a hierarchy of values that they believe they can trust. Everyone has faith. Everyone exercises faith uh, to a person. This is not just for church people or religious people. But that belief isn't represented by what you claim. It's represented by what you do. And so we ask the question, well, what is your faith really in? Or what is your faith driven by? In a life with God, we live life by or with faith. And if you want to know if your life with God is driven by faith in him, 
consider this question. When your life is out of control, how do you try to gain that control? To whom you, do you give that control? Life under God seeks to control the world by securing God's blessing via rituals or morality. Life over God employs natural laws or divine principles from the Bible to help us through life's challenges. Life from God amass enough wealth, health, and popularity, and you can insulate yourselves from the calamities that befall others. And then life for God, we seek to extract God's favor through faithful service, accomplish enough for God, and he will bless and protect you. But ultimately, all of those attempts to relate to God, not on his terms, to have some kind of handle on life, fall short in some way. In fact, all of these four ways that people typically tend to relate to God instead of the one we talked about last week, the life with God that he desires with us, um, kind of put us into an unending cycle because we're the ones trying to gain control. And so in these other ways of relating to God, this is what this cycle tends to look like. We find ourselves in danger. There's some sort of chaotic thing that happens. Life doesn't go the way that we want, want it to, so it uh, causes some sort of fear or anxiety, stress response, worry, whatever it looks like. It can be a big deal. It can be a small deal. And what do we typically do? We find some way for us to gain control over that thing. Well, inevitably, because unless you've figured out something I haven't, because we don't have complete control over everything that happens in our life, we find ourselves in the same situation again. Somehow, maybe we gain some sort of semblance of control over what ha is happening in our life, but inevitably, we find ourselves in danger once again because, again, things are bigger than us, and we can't control everything. And if we've learned to stay in the cycle, we have the same fear response, we have the same worry, anxiety, stress, depression, whatever it is. We find ourselves trying to regain control some way, somehow, and it keeps going around and around. But there is a way to break free from that cycle, and it's life with God, with faith. Uh, there's a, a Dutch Catholic priest named Henry Nouwen who is a professor and a theologian. He describes what this looks like from a trip he took to the circus in Germany. Uh, he's watching trapeze flyers. I don't like heights. I know some of y'all will be like, oh, yeah, it'd be great to swing on a, on a trapeze. That would be fun. Um, he's watching this. And it's amazing to the, to, to the crowd uh, what, what's happening. We went to the Virginia State Fair, I don't even remember when that was, a few months ago, and they had a little circus thing in there, and they had people flying through, and I just, I don't understand it. I, I just can't, I, I can't conceptualize this. Uh, but he's watching this, and he's watching the incredible acrobatics of the flyer, and he noticed uh, that really the only reason this works is because whoever's, whoever's flying through the air knows that they're going to get caught. That's the only reason this, this works. And so at 60 years old, I don't know how he managed this, but he got himself into a harness and, and went, and he actually flew through the air like a, a trapeze. He took a turn himself flying through the air. Um, this sounds terrifying, but he did it because there was absolutely no danger. He was in a harness. The people that knew they were the, they, what they were doing, they were assisting him. He experienced no fear. No fear. It was no fear. Uh, he experienced no fear, and he was able to have joy in the experience. And here's what he later wrote about this observation. He said, if we are to take risks to be free in the air, in life, we have to know there's a catcher. We have to know that when we come down from it all, we're going to be caught. We're going to be safe. The great hero is the least visible. And he says, trust the catcher. 
And as he's talking about this, obviously he's talking about the type of relationship God desires to have with us. So instead of us trying to figure out how we control the things that are happening in our life, he's pointing out that what God really wants us to do is to, is to trust the catcher. This is the natural inclination in a life with God because this is what it looks like to have faith. Uh, one of the things that I've observed consistently about fellow disciples of Jesus is that even though sometimes we don't always get this right, in general, there is a conspicuous, noticeable peace about how they handle out-of-control circumstances in their life. This is not to say that no follower of Jesus ever wants things to be different or wishes that their circumstances uh, were not what they were in those moments. Um, and, and sometimes we pray and we work to those, to those ends. However, in a life with God, when we're living with faith, we're content even with what we don't know even when we're not in control, because we know the one who is. Um, our new puppy recently greeted me uh, at our house when I came home. Now, there's some things you need to know. One, we didn't get a puppy so I could have sermon illustrations. <laughs> I promise. I, I promise. Uh, I came home. Uh, I was t- I'm teaching Bible at my kid's school and um, a couple, uh, three days, three mornings out of the week. And uh, one morning, I had uh, left the house. I had you know, did all the things you're supposed to do for the puppy, fed him, walked him, used the bathroom, gave him a treat. We're crate training him, so this is important for you to know. Do you know how a crate works? You do, so it's, it's, it's a thing, right? Um, and you, you, the dog goes in the thing, and you shut the door, right? And uh, the door has a latch. Did, did you know that about a, a crate when you crate train a dog? Okay, I just want to make sure. These are important details uh, you'll find out here in just a second. Um, so I come home after I had, did I mention I put the dog in the crate? Latch the door. Okay. Um, and he loves, I mean, he goes in there on his own. He loves it. It's, it's great. We have a good time. Um, well, I walked up the front walk to our house, and at the front door, I heard, I heard my dog. And he was barking at, at the front door. Um, oh, I forgot to mention, the crate is not at the front door. Did I, did I, that was another important detail. Um, so I had this moment where I was walking up to the front door, and I just, it was just me, you know, the family's at, at Renee and the kids are at school, I'm, I'm getting ready to head off to work, and I'm thinking, I've got a decision to make right here, right now. Um, I have no idea what I'm going to find behind the door. I know there's going to be a dog. I don't know if there's going to be anything else. Um, everything else might be gone at, at this point. And I just had to make, make this decision, and I realized I was so completely at a loss and completely out of control about whatever I was going to find behind that door, I just became incredibly calm. And I'm not saying that has anything to do with me or, or my mental prowess and how to, you know, deal with this situation, but I just recognized there's, you know, whatever happens, all I know after this is we are still going to have a dog. You know, and uh, the four walls are there and the doors and windows are there. I don't know if we'll have anything else, but we'll have, we'll have us and we'll have, we'll have this puppy. Um, turns out uh, all he had done was get a hold of some of my socks. Uh, a couple days later, I found out he had eaten one of those socks. Um, I didn't keep it. When we talk about living with faith, you know, I'm not talking about a carefree, like, we're skipping through the fields, flowers and cotton candy rainbows and, or clouds or, and rainbows or something different. I don't know, Skittles? Uh, 
You know, that, that's not what we're talking about. And we're not talking about kind of ignoring the way life actually works. But it's coming at those circumstances with a wholly different perspective and understanding of what the result is going to be, regardless of what the thing that we, that we face. Uh, we do not have control. And sometimes we don't even know what we don't know. But we can live life with the one who does. Faith is the opposite of seeking control. It is surrendering control. And the, pro- and a promise, the promise in a life with God is if you surrender your life to God, he will catch you. In 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, we read this. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He, he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we, we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We have this total assurance of safety from God who guarantees it through his son Jesus and his sacrifice and makes it evident through the ongoing dwelling of his Holy Spirit with us. This is not a promise of the absence of risk or danger, especially when we're so adept at getting our own lives out of control. It's just that we we can never quite mess anything up too much in a life with God when we turn to him. Uh, Humanity oftentimes throughout the Bible is described as sheep in need of a shepherd. Uh, and in this, the Bible is uncomfortably accurate, uncomfortable because if you hang, haven't hung out with many sheep or seen very many viral videos of sheep, uh, sheep are stupid. Um, sorry, they're not considered to be the brightest domesticated animal, is what I meant to say. Um, they need constant care and protection and not just from external dangers. Much of the time it's from themselves. There's the story from uh, out of Turkey, and this happened uh, several years ago, probably a decade or so ago. Um, and in Turkey, there's uh, 1,500 sheep in this field, and the Turkish shepherds are watching them. They're having lunch. Um, and they're there. They're in a field. And on one side, uh, there, there's a cliff there. So natural barrier, right, that, you know, it's kind of like a natural fence. Uh, well, one of the sheep uh, jumped to its death. Um, and then as the shepherds who are letting the sheep graze while they have breakfast uh, watched as nearly uh, all 1,500 other of those sheep followed that, that sheep that just jumped over the cliff. Um, uh, not, all of them, not all of them died, though. Only about 450 of them died. Uh, the rest of them were cushioned. Um, the ones that survived were cushioned by the other ones that were kind of there at the end of the, the cliff. Um, it sounds like, you know, your parents say, would you jump off a cliff if your friend did? And it's like, it depends on how many did before, you know? Um, listen, in a, in a life without God, I mean, you, you can survive. You can get by. Um, you, you can do it. I mean, absolutely. You could probably, um, if you're uh, fortunate enough, you know, to have pretty good circumstances and people around you, I mean, you can get by pretty well, pretty, uh, you know, for, for a decent amount of time. But at some point, e- even <laughs> pure dumb luck, you know, will get us but so far. But at some point, uh, the danger inherent in a world that is marred by sin catches up with all of us. Like, at some point, we find ourselves in danger, out of control. Um, and we have to decide what we're going to do um, with that. 
the very least, at some point, you know, all of us are going to face death, right? But God removes that fear and danger and exchanges it for joy in a life lived with faith through Jesus. Um, in Isaiah uh, chapter 53, verse 6, you know, it brings kind of a different understanding to this text, this story. Uh, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, speaking of Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Um, we, we don't even get kind of what we deserve from the way that we go off on our own. Because as disciples of Jesus, because of the grace of that salvation, we know in a life with God, we've already been caught. Uh, consider these words uh, from King David in Psalm chapter 23. A former shepherd himself, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, this may seem like an odd response to that text. There's something I was going to share towards the end of the sermon because I felt like it fit better there, but maybe it doesn't. Um, some of you know this already, some of you don't. Um, Try to mentally prepare you, yourself, you know, for things that you know that are coming, and sometimes it doesn't work out. Um, Miss Deborah Whitaker, um, whom so many of us know and dearly love and would recognize, um, even if we didn't know her by name, uh, passed away this past week. Um, Miss Deborah uh, would, would, be, would walk in, um, uh, she had MS, and um, she would walk in, she'd have her walker, and uh, she'd be here um, early for, um, for fuel, for small group, for Sunday school, um, whom uh, a good number of you have been a part of and, and, and know, um, and she would come in and she would sit right there. Um, and when I think about um, the promise of this passage, and when I think about faith in somebody who um, lived that out, I think about Miss Deborah. Um, I, I, not all of us, I mean, I don't even know Miss Deborah's full life story. Uh, all of us, you know know bits and pieces, and some of you have um, spent time with her in, in different ways and maybe just saw her from a distance. Um, 
but I will tell you, um, the, uh, the preparation and time and care that she put into being faithful, um, believing the promises of God, especially when things were not in control in her life, physically, mentally, relationally, like what, what, whatever those things are. And the time and effort and care she put into being faithful, to showing up, to just being here. And not, not just sitting here in the seat, but being a part of Monday night small group, um, showing up on building work days, just give me something to do. Knitting, I mean, if, you, if you've never seen any of the scarves and the hats that she would knit, um, she would p- put together huge, huge bagfuls um, for uh, people who otherwise would not have them. Um, she'd want them donated to homeless. Um, she would help. She would want to help with moments of hope. I mean, she just wanted to be a full participant. Um, and there's some Sundays where she would come in and she would be walking unassisted. Um, some of you have probably even seen her dance before. Um, there's some Sundays that she would come in and um, it was obviously uh, painful and a struggle for her to be here. And, uh, you know, when I read that promise, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like, that life with God that she chose and that faith with her, that has brought her to that promise. And so, while, while there's moments of being out of control and the circumstances can be painful at the time, like, that's not the end of the story. And she knew that and she believed it and she lived her life in that knowledge. And so, you know, Deborah, she, she could have chosen two different things, right, with the way that she lived. She could have stayed in that, that cycle of danger and fear and control and kind of moving, moving in that cycle through her life, the way that her circumstances, you know, kind of the chaos that a world broken of sin had brought into, brought into her life. But she exchanged that for a different one, the one that David describes in the psalm. And that's moving from the danger, fear, and control cycle for the surrender, safety, and faith cycle, because that's what God promises, and that's what he's promising here. The gospel message is that the consequence of sin and death has been defeated by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, our, our eternity with God, it's already begun. And he simply said, hey, if, you, if you're willing to surrender, like, I, I really do, I know what's best for you, and, and I do have things in hand, under, under control, um, and I will bring you to a much better place than you could even imagine to create for yourself. When we surrender ourselves to experience life with God, with faith, we exchange life with fear for life with faith. And this is how we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. It's not simply an acknowledgement of a truth. It's not just about believing it. It's about living it out. And so if you want to know if you're living with a life with faith, consider who is in control of your life. And who do you give control of your life, especially when things aren't the way that you would like for them to be or, um, or aren't going the way that you expected them to? Someone or, someone or something is control, and when we surrender that control to God, you'll experience safety in his care and we'll discover the joy of a life with faith. Um, I, wanna, I do, I do want to let you know that um, uh, Ms. Deborah uh, passed away in her sleep you know, earlier this past week. And um, 
uh, her her two, daughter, two daughters have been uh, working on the arrangements, and, and they let me know last night that um, they uh, will, her funeral will be uh, Tuesday at 11 a.m. Uh, at Scott's Funeral Home, which is uh, downtown Richmond. So, um, and and we'll send out some information uh, later as well. There's also um, they'll have a viewing available at Scott's Funeral Home tomorrow from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, as well. Um, uh, one, one, of the, one of the great perspectives that we get to have as followers of Jesus in a life with faith, with God, is that uh, for us, um, that's, not a, that's not a goodbye. That's a, we'll see you in a little while um, when we come to join you uh, because we know, uh, we know where you are and who you're with and who has caught you. Um, every week at Velocity, uh, we take communion together and um, as we do that, there's a, a chapter in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11 called the, called the faith chapter, uh, and for good reason. I'd uh, love for you to read it sometime this week. I just want to read a couple verses uh, from it. As we uh, kind of turn our focus to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. Uh, These were all commended for their faith, all the, all the people that had just been talked about. Yet none of them had received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Um, that's, that's the promise that faith holds on to and, and, and lives out. Uh, that's, that's the promise that we get to look forward to together. We've all been caught, and one day we'll all be able to celebra- be able to celebrate that being caught together uh, with a meal at one table. What was promised has been fulfilled through Jesus. And so as we take communion together this morning, may this meal not simply be representative of belief, but also a life that we've been invited to live with God, where we show up. We, we live out a life with faith. And we share that together. Let me pray for us, and then I'm going to invite you. We've got a couple different tables uh, around the room uh, with uh, cups there together with a little bit of bread and juice that represent Jesus' uh, broken body and his shed blood for, for us so that we could have a life with God. Let's pray. God, uh, we praise you. Uh, God, help us uh, to be reminded to praise you, uh, especially when things are not in our control, when we don't know what's going on, and we don't know that we don't know. God, help us to, to turn to you consistently to show up in our relationship with you and look, look to you to guide our perspective, uh, to surrender uh, the control that we feel like we have over our life, but we really don't. Uh, so we can rest in the safety uh, that you provide through life with you. God, we, uh, we praise you for this. We uh, give you glory for um, establishing this through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.